This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 29. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Kyle Gauss. Sam Cohn and Dante Colinelli. What's going on, guys? How are you doing? Sam's playing with scissors on Zoom. Sorry. Sam had a bad preschool teacher. Preschool teacher was, did not instill him with the correct. Wait, I've told this story, right? About me in kindergarten and scissors. I've definitely told this story. I, don't, I have no, no idea. I have no idea. You also, can I point out, I do this and I'll say I've told the story, right? And you're like, how the hell can I tell? If you've told the story because you haven't actually told the story yet. So I don't know. Tell the story. But my Please, stories, are, my stories are more memorable. That's the, the difference. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I don't know if you had to do this um, downtown area school district to get into kindergarten. You used to have to go to this church on 113 right near 113 in Wallace. And they would put you through like this basic stuff. Like, is your kid coherent? Uh, is he not pooping his pants? Is he doing stuff like that? And one of them was like, you're drawing between lines. Okay, great. Uh, at one point they gave me a pair of scissors and said, run to that teacher. And I ran to that teacher with scissors and they wanted to not admit me into kindergarten because I was running with scissors. Swear to God. No and my mom, th- granted that this is my mom telling this story. God knows it much longer. And my mom went and like went down there and was like, he was a bait. He was following what you guys told him to do. This is ridiculous. Like blah, blah. blah. And then I got admitted in. Sounds exactly like like something that that school district in Chester County in general would do. Every time I drive by like that church, I tell Meg that story. She's like, "Uh huh, I know because you told me the story fifteen times." But I'm like, "Look, I just I ran with suits." Imagine a psychological test on an eleven year old. Not even no, not not kindergarten eleven. I was like five myself. I corrected myself. Um. Uh, like running a test like that on a five-year-old and expecting him to like, I don't know. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I was also just banished from the Temple News office. The so 90s, 90s were a wild time, Sam. To be on this podcast. The yeah. 90s were a wild time. I care. Oh, I was, oh, I was there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> for nine, for nine days, I was there. In 1994, whatever it was, it was, they were able, to, was not they were able to get away with things like this. I'll take what John is was, Dr. Carlo uh, graduated high school. John was 18 years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, famous number yeah. 29s. I didn't know any before we started. Oh, I, I Googled one after we started this. I, I declared this guy a bust, and now he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Or he's going to be in baseball. Um, signed a massive contract with a Pacific Northwest team. Um, but you probably know him better for his time in Texas. Arguably the greatest hitting third baseman in the last. Ian Cazillia. No, I'm just kidding. Adrian Beltre. Ah. Wait, what did you call him? Arguably what? Arguably like the greatest hitting third baseman in the last like 20, 25 years. Outside maybe Chipper Jones. I was going to say, uh, surprised me that you would say better than Chipper. 3,100 hits, 477 home runs. Who was he's, the, he, arguably, he's in the comparison. Who was the Pacific Northwest team that he signed with? Seattle. He signed with really? Seattle for like massive money in like 2005. Yeah. Because like, I, I thought he was a bust when he first started with the Dodgers, and he has a massive year, and then he signs a huge contract with the uh, Mariners, and then he goes to Texas, and he just puts up 35 and 100 every year. Oh, well. It's been Adrian Beltre's scoop. Yes. So, anyway, 
we've got a lot to talk about. As always, we're going to start with spring football. We will, of course, get to this Temple basketball team that uh, is now see, seen its season come to an end after losing to uh, Tulane 69-60 in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. A little bit of a light mailbag this week unless things pick up. Uh, anyway, we will start with spring football. We are three practices in. Our guys have been there braving the elements. Dante's been there. Sam's been there. Caden's been there. Javon's been there. Comprised oh, hasn't of, been there? Uh, well, anyway. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I and I have not been there yet. Um, but we appreciate the work that you guys are doing and being there early in the morning. Elements. Owl Scoop is the most – is the best, just the best coverage team, uh, most dedicated coverage team in all the land. I'm not gonna not gonna argue that. So again, just to just to explain to all of you as listeners, if you missed this last week, we are only seeing the media. I say is we. Uh, it's talking to Stan Drayton, and it, it's going to be Stan Drayton heavy for the first like eight practices or so, right before they start getting into player availability for us and the assistant coaches, Danny Langsdorf, DJ Elliott. Um, who else are they getting us? One other person. Uh, Adam Shire. Adam Shire. Adam Shire. Yes. Coordinator and uh, tight ends coach. So, um, so again, I, I, I was talking to Adam, to Michael about this when I recorded my pod with him yesterday. In some ways, you know, we'd love to see practice, but you can always trust what you're seeing. A lot of it's scripted and, and it kind of boils down to more like asking the coaches, what are you, what are you seeing? And kind of just take them at their word. So I'll ask you guys again, it's three practices in it's spring ball. There's a lot going on right now. There's install with a new staff. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know. We know this is pretty much a, a, a rebuild. They they might be a three to five win team in 2022. We'll see. But you guys have been down there. What have you taken from those first two sessions with with Stan? What stands out to you? I mean, I think um, one of the things that was tough to get out of Stan before this was like names of players, uh, and I think that's understandable. I mean, he, you know, never really see them on the field, although I would argue film is enough. But I digress. Um, he is starting to name names in certain. Uh, leadership positions, guys who are standing out vocally. When we ask him about position groups, uh, he will give some names sometimes. Um, Sam, I believe you asked him about like a position group that's sticking out. He named the tight ends. So, you know, we're starting to get some more specifics. Um, and I think one thing that I've noticed different from, again, I'm not going to talk about anything on the field because all we've seen is stretching and sleep. Um, I like, Stan is a little bit more blunt than Rod Carey was when he is unhappy with things. Uh, Rod was a little bit more political, but, you know, um, someone asked Stan the last time we were there, like, are you happy with the leadership in the wide receiver room? And he was just like, he was like, no, they, they're bad. Like they need to, they need to get more leadership there. So um, that was really interesting. So those would be like the main takeaways, like nothing for me that is like really overwhelming, um, you know, I asked him about the quarterbacks. He brought Juan's name up without being prompted. I asked generally about that room and that was the name he went to. Now, I, I, I think like, you know, I honestly think it would be a bigger red flag if he didn't mention Dewan's name, given the competition in that room, like Dewan should stand out in that room, given the other people there. But um, I, I think those, those are kind of the takeaways for me, at least just that we're starting to hear names. Let's let's play that clip real quick, and it's not too long, but I'm going to play the clip that that Dante's referring to, where he asked Stan Drayton about the you asked him right just about the quarterbacks in general. Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll play this for you. This is from Saturday morning. Day one was was actually pretty impressive. You know, uh, Dewan in particular. 
you know, a guy who uh, knew where the ball needed to go yesterday. I mean, we're only talking install one, right? You know, but he knew exactly where the ball needed to go. Uh, not only that, what was impressive is that uh, there was times where he had to make some adjustments on the run that he made. I mean, he hit that on all cylinders. And uh, when you're talking about an athlete like that, a guy who can extend the play with his feet, you know, make plays with his feet, I mean, there's a lot of potential in that young man, you know. And, and that group as a whole really uh, commanded the offense, commanded the huddle. Uh, I thought they did a phenomenal job yesterday. All right, so Dante, you started to get into this. And again, I know I keep repeating myself, three spring practices in. We haven't even gotten to, to, to preseason camp yet. They don't have a ton of options there as of now. They could, of course, get somebody in the portal. Um, I was talking to Adam DeMichael about this yesterday. And this maybe this is, I want to throw this out to you guys. It might sound like kind of one of those no-brainer questions. But, I mean, this is a really, really, really important spring for him, right? Because things didn't work out for him at Georgia for a number of reasons. Uh, he got hurt, had a you know a major operation with a, getting a brain cyst removed. Um, so much goes with that. He was highly recruited. Things don't work out there. He comes to, comes here to Temple. Nothing you know in year two and especially in year three. Nothing really worked out with this staff. You know he showed some flashes in a couple of games this year, but he got couldn't stay healthy. Um, I, I, if he comes out of the spring and, and they see enough, that will probably mostly affect how they go into the portal, right? Because depending on how much they like EJ Warner, you know, you ideally, you, you know, you don't want him to play as a true freshman. And I think it might be interesting having a father like Kurt Warner, where like, they might actually be saying to him, Hey, Kurt, what, what do you think? You know, like if, if he comes out and actually performs well, and we see that it's actually legit and Stan isn't just giving us lip service, wouldn't that affect how they go into the portal? Like if, if, if Stan and Danny Langsdorf are like, you know what, the kid's showing us something, but we go into the portal now, maybe we're looking for like a depth guy versus like they come out of the spring and they're like, uh-oh, we don't know what we're getting out of Dwan. We do like Elijah Warner, but we don't want to play him as an 18-year-old true freshman. So I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you, and again, it's like an unfair question to ask, but talk about something. Do you think, do you think Stan was being genuine about it? Do you think it was a little bit of lip service, a little bit of both? What kind, you were there. Did, did it sound genuine? Again, we don't see him. We don't see him performing in practice. We, we can't see it, but did it come across to you? Like Stan was kind of like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I like what I see out of him. Or do you think it was kind of like lip service where like, I got to pump this guy up because if I, if I don't, as you said, Dante, it's going to set off some red flags. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like, and, and Sam, you can comment on this too. I felt like it was genuine at the time, right? Because I, again, I didn't ask about Dewan. I asked about the quarterbacks. I didn't even really ask how they were doing on the field. I asked how they were picking up the system. And he jumped into, well, I think Dewan right now, obviously we've only done one install, but he knows where to go with the ball. And he made some plays with his, with his athleticism. So that was kind of of all of like Stan's fruition. And again, what I talked about too is one of the differences between talking to him and we've actually talked to Stan given we had him on this podcast like you know I feel like I've talked to Stan a lot now like I feel like you know I, I have a decent rapport with him like had lunch with him a few times probably yeah you know we hang out talk ball um you know I, I try to convince him that running backs don't matter he just you know gets mad at me but you know like I, <laughs> I like I it felt genuine to me I, I don't know if you felt the same way Sam the only thing I would add is I'm from talking to Stan, because we've built a great rapport with him so far since he's been on the scoop and we've talked whatever, so practice, Stan isn't necessarily the most emotive guy. So to say genuine doesn't mean he's like, oh, crap, Dante, good point. 
DeJuan, right. you got you to know more about this guy, DeJuan Mathis, if you don't already. Like, if you don't know, now you know. But it wasn't like – it didn't feel like what he was saying was just kind of saying it just to say it. But when we had this conversation, when Dante, Caden, and I were walking – were leaving the, the facility, I, and I think Dante had mentioned this a couple minutes ago, that if he didn't say that, like, that's as just as – that's it's possibly worse if he didn't mention DeJuan Mathis specifically and just said the QB room just because there's no one else – you know, he could mention Valenti, but there's no one else beyond that that would be someone really worth mentioning at a time like this, two practices into spring ball. So I would say it felt genuine enough. Uh, he wasn't like going crazy about DeWan, but he, he said some good, he said some nice things about it. But I, I would argue like he didn't say anything that we haven't heard Rod say before or we haven't, you know, thought ourselves just from watching. Like he pretty much pretty plainly said, uh, you know, as Dante said, he made some plays with athleticism. He used his feet. He extends some plays. He, he's looked pretty solid so far. To answer John's question, uh, is this an important spring or like this is his last chance at FBS football? Don't think that was the question, but yeah. Yes, it was. He literally said this is an important spring for for Dwight. I did start off. To be fair, I probably asked two questions. I started off with that one and then I asked, what was he genuine? This is his his last chance at FBS football. If he comes out and they leave this spring by saying, oh, crap, we need to bring in somebody to start in this position, then Dwight Mathis is going to be in the FCS this time next year. Uh, I also think that – it's just impossible to gauge anything. I had a buddy reach out to me to the, uh, today or yesterday and say, wow, it really looks like Mariano Valente slinging it around, right? Based upon one clip where he connected with Malik Cooper on social media. Yeah. Going yeah. against the third string walk-on safety. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just impossible to gauge anything. I do think it is telling that, you know, uh, Stan brought up Dwan unsolicited, but, like, like everyone else has said, what else is he going to talk about? Like, he's – for better or for worse, the face of the franchise at this point, and it determines what the next, you know, two years of uh, Stan's career looks like. Yeah, it is interesting. Again, we're, we're kind of, I don't want to say we're grasping at straws. There's some stuff to grasp at, but I think we talked about this in a previous episode, that the, the day that Stan was announced and he was asked about Tawan, he was pretty honest. He was like, you know, and again, paraphrasing again, we got to see what's there. This guy was about to dip his foot in the portal and then – yeah, uh, is deciding maybe to stay. Like what you know, what's going on there? I think some coaches might not have even gone there. Not like it was a terrible thing for Stan to say, but um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting position battle to follow. Because again, just because of you know, it's it's Dewan and and as as Kyle said, there's this this clip of Mariano Valente hitting Malik Cooper with this quick you know good throw right over the middle. But they're in they're in helmets and and pads and shorts. And it goes for a long game. But again, guys are kind of just grasping and arm tackling there. Um, and then it's Matt Duncan and, and walk on. So they either way, they're probably going to be going into the portal for a quarterback. I think it's just going to be a matter of like how aggressive they are with it and who comes out of the spring. How good do they feel about it? And we don't even truthfully know how they really I mean, they liked they like DJ Warner enough to sign him and offer him a scholarship. And we'll see how he develops when he gets here, but certainly something interesting to follow. And, uh, you know, there'll be more spring practice media availability tomorrow with Stan Drayton. Again, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon and it'll be just kind of retroactively asking him like, Hey, you know, last time we talked to you, it was before practice getting into pads, you know, what did you see? Um, what else have you guys been able to take from, from things just by being around there and just doing some reporting, whether it's on either side of the, uh, the football. Uh, two things I would add. One, uh, just as a position group that we haven't mentioned, is Stan said, I think it was Tuesday, maybe, uh, yeah, I guess yesterday, 
that he didn't think the he didn't love the depth they had at safety. He said mm-hmm. that was you know that was a position he considered like is probably a position of need or just needs to see improvement. I think Dante had mentioned receivers before about um, just about the lack of leadership. Dante, did you mention the running backs? Did not. Trey Blair yeah. got a mention, right? Well, somebody uh, asked yeah. about Trey Blair. Yeah, so I I had asked Dan about um, just like what there's a number of guys returning in that group, what he's seen from them so far, and that was on Tuesday. So by that point, he hadn't seen them do anything in pads, and he had said that there's really no chance, there's like no real evaluation he can do of them until they put pads on. I asked him about the Trey Blair um, breakaway touchdown that was in the, uh, I think it was like a 50-yard touchdown that was in the spring ball um, notes, and he said like, there was contact four yards after the line of scrimmage. Who knows what would have happened if they were really tackling that pads on. So you take it for what it is. Um, now he's seen a practice with them with pads on. So maybe we'll get a clearer, um, you know, understanding of what he's seen from the running backs tomorrow. But again, that's, you know, one more practice. So uh, we'll see what he has to say there. The other thing I would, the last thing I'll add, Dante, and then you, uh, anything else you have. The main thing, and again, we only really see stretching and like their first individual drills stuff they do before that kind of like dynamic walkthrough stuff is like, you can kind of see through the window, but we don't get to see a ton Uh, in the very, very limited stuff that we do see. The energy in the building is entirely different. The guy, it's just, it's just, you just, it just feels so different. The energy from the coaches, the the response from the players, the whole place just feels, you can just tell you walk in, it feels very different. And maybe it's just, we haven't been to EO in like two years because of the pandemic. Uh, so I don't want to like, you know, say it's incredible, whatever, whatever, but there's definitely a different energy and a different feeling in that building with this staff. And it's, it's cool to see, I was saying to Dante, it's cool to see, cause it's cool to see Stan kind of be out there and be so engaged and really, um, with kind of every group and, and with the whole team, just because he's a new guy that we're, we're also getting to know. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add on to that, I mean, the new energy thing, I'm not like a big like rah-rah culture guy, right? Like I, I kind of take a lot of that with a grain of salt, but like, honestly, they just look like happier people this year. Like, I don't know if it, no, like seriously, like they, do. They, they, do. they just look, even on like social media, like if you follow the players on Instagram, if you follow them on Twitter, like they just seem like they're happier this year. I don't know if it's you know, a combination of, you know, they have less pandemic restrictions this year, or they really feel good about, you know, the, the direction of the program. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's probably a combination of everything at the end of the day, but like they do seem happier. So I think that's a very important point that Sam just made. The only thing I would add is like a, a specific name that I have heard from people not named Sam Drayton and, and Sam has heard this name too. Um, Zach Gill is is a guy that that Temple fans should be paying attention to uh, based on what we're hearing. I mean, he is a guy who apparently, you know, was very, very involved with the team last year, even though he was not on the football field. Um, they feel like he was traveling. Know, yeah, he was traveling with the team, even though he wasn't playing. They felt like he was not, he was, was not, he was traveling. not traveling. Sorry, he was not traveling. Um, but he was still very involved, apparently, uh, as, as a leader and as somebody um, you know, in the facility. And apparently he's playing as well as you can play in unpadded practices right now. Um, so they really feel like that he's the big, you know, he's the big guy that they're going to get up front this year. You know, John likes to talk about a lot. Where's that pass rush coming from, right? Like John likes to beat that drum. Maybe it's Zach Gill. You know, I, I, I think that that's the name that we have heard the most. Sam, you can, I, I assume, echo that. And is that, that's the name that we've heard of. So, um, you know, if you're betting on single digits, there's one to bet on Zach Gill, probably on the defensive line. That's a, that's a standard uh, defensive line. He might get that, that number nine or, 
that number six. Uh, we'll see what, what they do with it. But that's that's the name that I think has probably popped the most for spring practice. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the only thing I was going to add is, I mean, we haven't seen him play, so we can only speak so much to his skill set and what he'll be able to bring to that defensive line. But I, that's exactly what I was going to add is that he, he's definitely a name to look out for when when they when it comes time to, uh, to vote on single digits, which is nowhere near where we are right now. Yeah, just a, a quick note before we transition over to basketball. I think speaking to the culture thing, um, Sam, you asked him about Hassan Reddick signing with the Eagles, and you know Stan very procedurally said, "Yeah, I, I haven't gotten the chance to talk to him yet since he signed with the Eagles, but my chief of staff, who's Everett Withers, has." And then, like literally a couple hours later, you see video of Hassan down at the you know at the facility working out, and again. Does it is it winning them any games right now? No, but I, I think it's a safe assumption that like things were were as bad as they could get last year. I mean, there were just a lot of I don't even say this in like a, a, a sensational type of way. There were just a lot of leaks last year, people being people and just venting and saying, yeah, it's it's bad. It's not good. Uh, I think we knew, you know, we tried to be as fair as we could as reporters at the beginning of the year. Well, we'll see, take this you know week by week. They beat Memphis and then it was bad for that like really bad and never got better so i would agree with you guys again i haven't been down to uh a media availability yet we'll be down there soon but yeah i mean the vibe around the building just does seem to be completely completely different so we'll continue to have more coverage for you guys again player availability will come uh later this month uh into april again the train white game will be april 9th uh down at Edberg. Olsen Hall, Dante, you have you've, what, like a minute or two to stick around and talk basketball or you're going to go, you're going to go play basketball, right? I'm going to go play basketball. Yeah. I'm coming out of retirement. Uh, Hollywood Dante's gracing the court again. It's not going to be pretty. It's been, it's been a couple of years since I've like actually exerted myself playing basketball. So this is not going to go well. I'm going to ask you this question before you go, like the, All right. the like question that we ask in recruiting stories to try to get quotes out of people. For someone who has never seen you play before, you describe yourself <laughs> as a player um yeah i lived at the free throw line in high school i averaged about 17 points per game my senior year and seven of those points came at the free throw line because i just went in there and i was very small and i got beat up so i got a lot of calls and i got good at free throw so i lived it there so that does not bode well for me in pickup um and i was also a i was like a decent outside shooter like i was okay from the outside but you know, as far as like, I do not have a very good handle and I am not tall and I cannot jump very high. So I'm a defensive liability for sure. I got to, I got to work on my defense. Um, there's no doubt about that, but you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm, I'm two years out of retirement. It's, it's not, this is not going to go well. My next question after that, after that ringing endorsement would be like, why do you think Temple offered you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm a really good glue guy. You know, I'm just really great at the end of the bench. You know, I'm just really great at, at cheering. Yes, all, all those 17 points a game glue guys that you hear about. Yeah, that's, that's a common stat here for a glue guy. <laughs> you played where? CB South, right? Counter Rock. Counter Rock. Not, not Central. Bad. It's not a bad – it's not a bad – you know, scoring average to have as a high school senior. Sam, what did you, what were your stats like? No idea. I also was like this because of, because of my knees. It's like yeah. I play and then I win and then I play and I win. I had the same problem. Like if you look at my numbers from other years, you would be very no confused idea. as to why I scored so many points as a senior. I won't give the secret away, but. Yeah. Do you have a huddle like Sam does or no? 
Absolutely not. No, we did not. We, we had an, our in-house stat book was like the old school, like paper. And we had a guy who did it. There are no stats on the internet, so you cannot check this. Uh, unless they started giving stats to the kids who are there now, which I hope they did because it's, it's nice to be able to see those numbers. What high school taught me through the office references, Sam Cohn, Chelmsford high school came up when I tried Googling Sam's stat records. Did you write a blog post just explaining your high school experience by office references? That's awesome. Sam's big office guy. Okay. All right. Well, uh, wish me, me luck. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make fun of me. I was like seven. I was like seventeen. I had no other place to write. I'm not making fun of you. <laughs> Kyle's, Kyle's beaming right now. <laughs> I'm just, I was trying he to like wants, he, wants, he wants to explore the studio space on this, and Sam gave him nothing. All I'm saying is, it looks like it looked like the Fighting North Chelmsford High School aristocrats had a rough senior year i'm gonna chalk that Whoa. up to your not knee? true didn't i see not eight true. and 12 on here i think this is my cue we, no we won Bye, Dante. We, won 10, we won 10 games we won 10 games because you have to win 10 games to, to automatically qualify for the playoffs and our 10th win was on senior night hmm. i had eight points that night hmm. two of them were on two top. three two of them were on threes there we go speaking of three four twelve Three-pointer, Temple did not. Uh, yeah, probably, it doesn't matter. Temple. It says, Max Prep said you went 8-12, but it's fine. <laughs> we did not go 8-12. We won, I, I know we won 10 games because we made the playoffs. You did. You lost to Everett. Like a stat describes. We, we lost to Everett. Number one seed. We, were, we had a play-in game, and then we won the play-in game and played the one seed. Uh, and uh, you know who's on that Everett team? Who? What's his name? Something likely. The kid on Coastal Carolina, the receiver. Oh. Isaiah Likely. Yeah, you talked huh. about this, right? Yeah. yeah. Isaiah um, Likely was on that Everett team. How was he? Good. <laughs> Big. <laughs> Big. Division one athlete. <laughs> Big. Were you mad with him at all at any point? Athletic. Like, did you switch yeah. to him or anything? No. In high school, they listed him at 6'4, 225. <laughs> In high school. <laughs> That's insane. Now he's 6'4", 240-ish because he plays tight end. There's a great picture of my buddy, like, driving baseline and, like, full extension layup on from the left side. And Isaiah likely is, like, behind him trying to block it. He, like, got on the inside and scored on him. It's kind of a sick picture. That is cool. Mm. Well, speaking of hoops. Speaking of hoops, Temple season's over. 69-60 loss to Tulane in the quarterfinal round of the American Athletic Conference Tournament. Uh we knew, obviously, they've been without Caleb Battle since early December. We pretty much knew that they would be without uh, Jeremiah Williams, uh, who we, well, I guess we reported this, Sam, you reported this in the Inquirer. Jeremiah Williams, actually, so we're recording this on a Wednesday, set to have a surgery tomorrow, right? Shoulder right. surgery tomorrow, uh, should like recovery time of maybe like three months or so. So we kind of knew that was coming up and uh, became official this week. So, uh, and then... Damian Dunn gets hurt, and it's not like they were playing too great with him in the lineup. It just could not could not buy a shot. Hit twenty eight point four percent from the field. So, um, and I think we had re realistic expectations that if they, you know, if they beat, you know, you beat Tulane, you've got a really really tough matchup in the next round uh, against Houston. But um, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to spend too much time breaking down the game unless they're like, you know. Something if there's something you know 
different or something that you didn't expect to see in the game. Otherwise, I think it was kind of, do you guys feel it was just, just more of the same? They just ran out of gas, just didn't have enough offensive weapons on Friday. Yeah, they were running on E. They were so depleted that they're playing a walk-on in a six-point game with 14 yeah. minutes left. Like, whatever actually happened with Nick Jordan, whether it was like he got a tech and didn't come in because of the tech, disciplinary, whatever, or if it was just because they didn't need a front-court presence in that game, they, they truly did just need a guard who could score the ball. Um, that was pretty much the lineup they ran with for most, for at least most of the second half uh, was before Dame got hurt. And then uh, high Sear Miller and Zach Hicks and Jaleel white, and then putting in Colin for a little, uh, you know, tie too. So they really just needed guys who could score the ball. And at that point in that game, those guys couldn't do it. I, I see Miller, I think was the only person you could walk away from that game and say he had a pretty good game. Other than that, I don't think it was a single person you could say like he played well. Um, they really just could not do anything offensively. Uh, they couldn't really generate great looks. Every time they got the ball inside, it got blocked. Um, defensively, I, defensively, I thought they were like fine. Like they weren't awful, but they they were probably good enough that if they played decently offensively, they could have won the game. But like it wasn't by any stretch a great defensive performance. So just not at a kind of laid a dud. But. Yeah, uh, I, I like running on empty. Uh, I, re- I think I read somewhere else somebody put they were leaking oil by this part of the season. I think that's accurate. I mean, I think even if they had somehow won this game, you never want to say like, oh, well, they would have lost anyway. They would have got, they would have lost to Houston by 55 points. But Houston would have just stopped them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Strickland, poor taste in your mouth for the last game of his Temple career. One of He's one of 12 from the field. I think at one point you text us and said they're one of 11 from on layups in the first half. Yeah. Like, you could also hear at one point on the broadcast, uh, Ty screamed the F word because he was upset with himself because he missed a layup. Yeah, uh, or like there's a lot of miss knife, like knife through the lane and like missed one, but it was either like miss or block just about every time they got inside uh, inside the paint. Yeah, well, against a, honestly a pretty poor defensive team, like two lanes, like one of the worst defensive teams in the conference. So the fact that they can only score sixty against them was not super boastful, I guess. And yeah, it kind of it still explains even twenty some games later how why they're missing Caleb Battle at times because Caleb Battle has the opportunity in that game to kind of take over and get them points when they need it. Um, I think honestly, I kind of just like already put it in the back of my mind just because I think the next four to five weeks are so crucial to Temple basketball uh, with the portal and stuff like that, but not the way you want the season to kind of come to an end. Wouldn't have been the way from what we're hearing. It seems like Temple, along with a lot of people, turned down um, CBI or CIT, whatever it's called now. Uh, they can only field 21 of 32 teams. I did hear that Temple was one of the teams that was asked to join and determine, no, we're not, we're not playing in the CBI. So. Mm. Let me ask. Let me ask you guys a, a basic question. Obviously, the, the goal every year is get to the NCAA tournament, regardless of the circumstances. So, at seventeen and twelve overall, ten and seven in the league, taking the whole storyline into consideration. Again, I say this lightly, but for the purposes of conversation, was this season a success? Was this season a step in the right direction, or did they fall a little short? There was a point. I think after the the regular season finale against USF, right? Or Aaron said, I think we even fell a, a little short of our goals or a little short of whatever, like whatever win goal they had or whatever. But what, how, what, how are you left feeling right now? Success in the right direction or did they fall a little short? Well, I think the key has come out and said, like, <clears throat> our goal every year is top three in the conference. Like, that's the goal. And then if you're top three in the conference, you have a shot to win the conference, right? And they finished fourth in the conference. So they did finish right outside the goal. I think even if Caleb Battle had played all year and you told me, excuse me, I'm sorry. Even if you had played all year 
and they went 17 games and you told me that preseason, I would have probably consider that a successful season, a step in the right direction. The fact that they did it without arguably the best scoring guard in the city for all but seven games. And they did it with their leader at point guard for the last stretch and Damian Dunn's in and out of the line. The fact that they overcame so many uh, injuries and still won 17 games and absolutely it's a step in the right direction. They're at the point where when we came into the season, you thought you knew what you had in Damian Dunn. You thought you knew what you had in Jeremiah and Caleb Battle. But then you kind of just, like, you're guessing a lot of stuff. And now I think that you still see where they're going as a direction, as a program. You see what, how they want to play basketball. And now you can kind of plug things in instead of it being a massive rebuild like it was 18 months ago. Yeah, things look a lot clearer to an extent. But we still only have – I mean, we think about the Caleb Battle experience of this season. Um, in hindsight, it almost feels like a lot longer than it was. He played six and a half games. And he was averaging 20 plus points a game. He was such a huge part of their offense. Um, so you get getting him back, assuming a healthy Damien Dunn, a healthy Jeremiah Williams is going to be, we're going to start our first podcast, uh, you know, in the late summer and early fall, as we inch closer to the basketball season and say, what are we looking out for this year? It's going to be the exact same question Kyle asked at the beginning of last year. Can they play together? <laughs> Can those three play together? Um, that has not gotten kind of any if, honestly I think the question's gotten murkier because we now know that Damian Dunn can hit four go ahead shots in the final minute of a game and can explode for 25 plus points um so I think to answer your question the season was absolutely a success it was absolutely a step in the right direction I think if you're Temple you are extremely happy with the progress of High Seer Miller and Zach Hicks I think you the way Jaleel White grew if you ignore the Tulane game the way Jaleel White grew from game one to game 28, you see a lot of progress there. I think uh, Nick Jordan, you probably still have to rough, you have some iron out the edges, but you saw some growth in him uh, in terms of what he can do just to be a little bit more versatile and a little bit, he got a little bit better in his versatility. Like he could do a lot of things. Okay. Last year, I think got a little bit better at all of those little things. Uh, and he wants to get even better at all of those little things. So there's a lot of signs pointing in the right direction. The question is next year, you know, what does it look like? How does how do they use the portal and how does this all come together? And what's the minutes distribution? Real quick on that last part, I think Nick Jordan is a, a perfect example of like small sample size bias. Where like entering the season, I think people were like, oh, yeah, like he can really shoot the three. He's a really good three-point shooter because towards the end of the year last year, he came on, he hit two or three, two or three, one on one. And Started then, three games, yeah. Yeah, and then this season he's like a 19% three-point shooter. So like 25% on his career, yeah. Yeah, so you got to kind of find a happy medium with these sample sizes. Um, form kind of looks like will, it's there though, right, Sam? Say again? The form kind of looks like it's there for him, right? It's not like he has this like completely broken down shot. Yeah, it's a little slower than I think they probably want it to be, but like he has a fine jump shot. And it, it I don't, you don't need Nick Jordan hitting Caleb Battle and Damien Dunn S jump shots. Right. You need like when you swing the ball and he's open on the three point line, or you run like a pick and pop and he's open. He has to be able to hit open shots. That's really all they want from him to play on the perimeter. Yeah, the problem is the last stretch of the season he did that where he's okay. He's only taking these open shots. He had a stretch in the middle of the season where he's jacking up seven threes a game. Like yeah. he was forcing that a lot of times. So I mean, he's still yeah. you know technically a true freshman. So Aaron called him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Aaron, Aaron had talked about him. He said like, he's, but yeah, as you said, he's basically still a freshman because he played so little last year. He's still kind of figuring things out. He's still growing. Before I asked you about the form on Nick Jordan shot, I feel like you had another point you were going to make there. 
Yeah, uh, just thinking about, uh, so Bella and I are working on like a season in review um, of Temple Hoops, and I found a very interesting stat that I thought I would bring up on the show today. Uh, when we think about this season in terms of like successes and failures and the ups and down, the up and down nature of the season, we think about the high highs as Caleb, like right before Caleb got hurt and then Caleb gets hurt. And then there's a two game stretch uh, where they beat Penn and someone else. Vanderbilt they beat Penn and Vanderbilt it's like okay maybe they can figure things out without Caleb maybe this isn't as bad as people thought it might be when the season when the news first dropped and then they lose back to back to St. Joe's and UCF and it's like crap this team might have zero offense when they really get into the thick of conference play uh would you like to guess the last time Temple lost back-to-back games and scored fewer than 50 points in back-to-back games this season I hate you, Kyle. <laughs> before um, this season, when the last time it happened was. Before this season? I mean, it has to be something. I can look it up if you'd like. Uh, 2004? Further. 1938. 2002? <laughs> Not quite that far. Uh, it was 1996 against UMass and GW. Um, they scored like high, like mid to high 40s. Or I think it was like 37 and then 40 something. Huh. Um, so it's been a long time since they, they were on a two-game stretch. Uh, in 1996? Yeah, right? I don't know. This was 95-96 or like 96-97? Wait, what, what was the question? 95-96, did they make the tournament that year? Was uh, that the year that they – I'm just – was that the year that they beat – They went 2013. They, they made the tournament that year. They didn't or they did? They would have. Um, anytime I think Cheney right. got to 20 wins, they Ryan Minor. Would they beat Ryan Minor in Oklahoma in the first 95, round? 95-96, they beat Oklahoma and then they lost to Cincy. Yep. Yeah. Ryan Minor was it was a dual sport athlete, real good baseball player, and also ended up in the in the Orioles system as a third baseman, I believe. Jesus Christ, they had 35 points against UMass in that game. Did? They lost to UMass so, 35 to 59. Yeah. I mean, so Cal Harry just really in some games just kind of owned them. But go ahead, Sam. Yeah. So the point being, I think when you talk about was the season a success holistically, I'm going to use that word because Sam Newman loves when I use that word. Um, holistically speaking, yes, you saw a lot of steps in the right direction. 17 wins was our over under at the beginning of the season uh, of how many wins they'd have. I think it was, um, we had a mailbag reader that suggested 17 or 17 and a half, whatever it was. They got exactly 17, but they saw a lot of ups and downs of, as we said, you know, the, er- the early Caleb battle experience to the St. Joe's UCF game to things start to pick up a little bit when Dame hits back-to-back game winners to Jeremiah gets Jeremiah Williams gets hurt to, you know, they finish the season on a high note against USF, uh, you know, Houston and Memphis were bad. And then on a high note against USF and then lay and you think, okay, maybe they're moving back in the right direction. They can beat Tulane in the, in the, they, they get the first round by and then they play Tulane and then they lay another dud. So it's been very up and down season, but again, you know, look, taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, I think you saw a lot of improvement, a lot of growth. Yeah. Um, again, now people are trying to read the social media tea leaves in terms of uh, who they think staying, who they think's going. Um, I, I've been told by a couple of sources I trust that, you know, that things are still, you know, not definite with Quincy Adam McCoy. I know that he missed the, you know, I can't remember how many games down the stretch. There is an off the court issue that he's dealing with. Um, but I've been told that there's a possibility that he could come back so that that's not a, a definitive thing. Um 
that he's leaving. In addition to Quincy Adam McCoy, we'll see what happens there with him. We know that that Ty Strickland announced that he's leaving Temple. He announced uh, yesterday, which is Tuesday, and we're recording this on Wednesday. Sam, you confirm with them that he just doesn't know what his future plans are as of yet, right? In terms of what he's going to do next, whether he's going to actually hit the portal or not hit the portal, right? Yeah, he's just he just said he's just still weighing his options. Obviously, there's a lot of time to figure out specifics of what his next move is. Um, so he said he's just still weighing his options and figuring things out, is what he told me. Yeah, I mean, will I, I don't know, agree or disagree on this? Uh, if we were betting men, Arashma Parks, Jake Forrester, maybe even Sage Tolbert, are they back? Maybe, maybe not. But if, you know, we could have as many as four open scholarships here. And I think Temple will target not one, but two bigs in the portal. Maybe one who's more of a defensive presence, one who can score a little bit more. Now is the season where somebody hits the portal and we get a text or an email. Do you think they'll offer this guy? Do you think they'll offer that guy? Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, here's a guy from a mid-major who's averaging a double-double. Temple should be recruiting him. And usually I'll say yes, and so is everybody else. So a lot of, as Kyle said at the outset of the pod, this will be a really, really interesting next four or five weeks or so. So stay tuned there. There'll probably be more to report by the time we record again next week. We do only have one, I believe. I will double-check here. I believe just one uh, one mailbag question, and it is – John, can I interject really quickly before we go to the mailbag? Yeah, sure, Sam. Go ahead. To segue from open scholarship spots, what they might do with those open scholarship spots. Roll them over. Temple made a – Temple put out an offer to a 2022 guard. Of course. Today. Let's get to that. Yeah. I can't believe I was about to just blaze over to the mailbag and forget about our recruiting coverage. So, Sam, you take it from here. Yeah, so uh, Temple made an offer to Reggie Louise. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his name. Reggie Louise Jr. Uh, he's originally from Miami, but he's at a, he's taking a prep year this year at Mount Zion Prep in Maryland. Um, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit before uh, we hopped on the Zoom to start recording. Um, pretty much described himself as a, a, you know a three-level scorer, someone who can create for his teammates, uh, two-way playmaker. He's 6'6", 195. Um, so kind of fits the mold of what they want in that backcourt, uh, that mold being look at guys like Jeremiah Williams, Damian Dunn, and Caleb Battle, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guards uh, and playmakers. He was on a Zoom call this morning with just about the entire staff and then a couple of his family members and was very excited to get the call. Uh, so we'll have a story up in, you know, hopefully tomorrow or the next day um, more about his game and his recruitment. Uh, the other thing I'll say is he does have a handful of offers and he said that there's been some some mid-major, low-major schools that have been in in his in on his recruitment uh, for a while, dating back to when he was in high school. But he's gotten some more. He's recently got a Rutgers offer, a VCU offer, now a Temple offer, and he had schools like Oklahoma State and a few other high-major schools uh, reach out to him pretty recently, although they haven't uh, fully offered him yet. He said it's been exciting to kind of get some more of that, um, more of that high-major uh, and you know mid-major attention. So. Uh, so and it just an eye, uh, a name to keep an eye on moving forward. Twenty twenty two combo guard. Yeah, I think I think some of you put this on our boards when the offer got announced. And someone asked, "Well, why are they recruiting more guards? Aren't there enough guards on this team?" I get that, but like, if Temple's going to have four scholarships open or three or four, whatever it is, there is no scenario where you're going to be able to promise three or four transfers. Like, yep, you're coming in, you're playing twenty five minutes a game, and all this. So with that in mind, when you have that opportunity, you also have to continue to recruit for the future. So like. I, I think I kind of gave John a hard time about this earlier, but like if you're closing your eyes and you're imagining Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn playing for Temple when they're 24 years old, then you're out of your mind. 
Like, I understand that they might still have three years of eligibility left after this. I don't see any scenario where both of them play three more years of basketball at Temple. So with that in mind, you have to have that next generation of each position ready to go. So I think the most immediate need for 2022 is obviously big men. But there still needs to be the progression of, we like this guy enough that we think he's a contributor to years down the line. Kyle, when you said that text, I think I read it as when in 2024, not when. I meant when he's 2024. <laughs> but I think yeah. it actually might correspond. I think he was actually born in 2000, so it might, it might have worked out regardless. But, yeah. like, right now, like, technically, Kelly Ballo redshirted last year, or could redshirt, could have redshirted. He, made it, like, he played less than 30% of the games. Uh, he can get a medical redshirt in basketball. So if that's the case then, then he's technically a redshirt sophomore, fourth-year redshirt sophomore next year. I just I don't see guys like that sticking around until they're 24, 25 years old to keep playing college basketball. So and Damian Dunn is the oldest, probably the oldest freshman in the uh, in the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, him and Caleb are now in the same class. So there's a bunch yeah. of sophomores on this team. They're not all going to be here to be seniors next year. So guys like Luis makes sense to say if you like this guy, you I assume you have to assume he's a late bloomer if he went to prep school to get this level of offers. So type of guy that yeah, you get, he, in the, uh, get in the system. Yeah. Yeah, he said Temple first reached out around January, so it's it's been a, a relatively recent. Uh, they've been on him, and Aaron's gotten a chance to see him play. Um, Jimmy Fennerty on staff has seen a has seen a handful of his games, so uh, sounds like they like him. But. Yeah, and that's just like an example of like, look, coaches can read the tea leaves too, right? If anything, they can read them probably better than we can. So like when they went and visited, went to games with at his school three months ago, two months ago, there was not an open scholarship. Guess what? Now Ty Strickland's in the portal, and there's an open scholarship, and you figure things out. So, yeah. So good stuff from Sam. Again, if you are an alscoop.com subscriber, you can read that story. If you are not an alscoop.com subscriber, you should consider subscribing so you can read all of our recruiting coverage. What's that? Now, or, and I'd like to also announce our alscoop.com plus, where for an extra <laughs> $9.99 a month, you get, I saw like about a couple of months ago, somebody tweeted like, why aren't you guys posting videos of these podcasts? Look, you pay me an extra $10 a month. You can see the raw video footage as well. With our How funny Frank Sinatra backgrounds, my 20-year-old Allen Iverson bobblehead. We got nothing but opportunities here at Alscoop.com. <laughs> the sound absorption foam behind Sam Cohn and his uh, T-shirt. If we're ever recording this pod back in person and Kyle ever decides to make a trip to Temple's campus uh, ever again, then we will most certainly set up a camera and that would be that would just be funny post a video have we ever done a, have like sam have you and i ever done a podcast in person for like a year yeah actually oh we go did we christ <laughs> <laughs> the last one that we did in person before the pandemic really took hold was with fran duffy from the eagles and we'll probably try to get him on i wasn't there for that i wasn't there for that because i had jordan like jordan got yeah. born like two months prior to COVID, so like i was out of the loop anyway so we were sitting around my... oh god I was gonna say that it, I my the first pot I was on or the first pot I came by and, and sat in for was uh, early my sophomore year, like middle. Of, well, it wasn't a year; it was a couple months. Middle, probably like middle of the fall of my sophomore year, and then the pandemic hit in March of my sophomore year. So and he said, "Wow, these people are gonna have such an impact on my life. These people that are yelling <laughs> at each other in a small office." I <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick, I'll tell Derek story this morning. I'm dropping off Jordan, and um, Jordan's been saying "yep" a lot lately instead of "yes." I'll be like, "yep." And I'm like, oh, whatever. So I'm um, dropping him off. And I said, can I take off your jacket? And he says, yep. And the teacher comes over. She says, oh, he's having such a great time at daycare lately, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, he's learning all this new stuff. Like, who taught him? Yep. And she's like, yeah, a lot of times we'll ask him questions. They'll just be like, yep. So I go, I didn't know what to say. So I said, 
come on, Jordan, we can be a little more respectful than that. Like we can say yes or like all this woman just stares at me like he's a two year old. Like I'm not taking offense to the fact that he's saying, yeah, he wasn't even like talking like three months ago. And I think she thought that I was like actually being serious, like being like disciplinary and Kyle being like, no, you need to do this. I don't give a crap. He's like, yep, all he wants. As long as he, he drops the F-bomb every now and then by accident. So like, <laughs> I don't care. As long as he's not doing that in class. Like, so he's from, is he learning that from you or Mag or both of you? I was installing uh, light fixtures a couple of weeks ago and I was standing <laughs> on my eyelid and I, I didn't shock myself, but the, the ground wire came undone. And I literally was like, oh, F, like I said out loud. And he's just walking around the living room going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> so that's where we're at now. Oh, that's great. That's funny. That's great. Anyway. Mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. Mailbag. Uh, mailbag. All right. Yes. Good, good uh, scenario-based mailbag question here from Park Al from the alscoop.com basketball message board. Here's a question. Starting August 1st, 2021, there are three timelines. The first has Aaron McKee as head coach. The second has Mike Krzyzewski as head coach. The third has Patrick Ewing, the real one. We'll shot at Rick Brunson there yeah. as head coach. Each runs camp practices, game plans, in-game coaching, et cetera, his own way. But roster injuries, canceled games, et cetera, are held constant to the true timeline. With 29 games played, what is Temple's record under each head coach? Wow. I did not read this question before. Wow, that's a good question. Well, so we know the Aaron McKee timeline, right? Like of the multiverse, we know the Aaron McKee. They went 17 and, and 12 and right, lost yeah. in the first round of the tournament. Well, what I think a lot of times what people associate with Coach K is like coaching, coaching, coaching. And of course, that makes sense. But the difference between Coach K and Fran Dunphy outside of, you know, however many national championships and final fours <laughs> is I think Coach K's mainest, mainest. Uh, biggest attribute was his ability to like adapt to recruiting. Like that's kind of his biggest things, which I think I know with this, they say the roster stays the same, but I think that actually works against him a little bit in this. I think, it, I don't think you can plug coach K in this and all of a sudden temple goes to the sweet 16 with that same roster. I think his biggest asset at Duke was that he adjusted to the one and dones. He adjusted to when kids went straight to the NBA, getting that next level. I think he was such a good roster builder and such a good like recruiter in that aspect, that that's what helped him. I don't think adding him to this roster all of a sudden makes him that much better. I think they win maybe a game or two more. But if you had said, okay, rewind two years, are they at this point? Then, yeah, then it's astronomically different because I think he would have really – the recruiting would have been at such a notch higher. So I'll say the Coach K timeline, similar, a couple more wins. Wait, back up a second. The recruiting would have been so much more different. Are you are you saying the I'm saying, I'm saying I'm saying if they had rewound this, if the if the question was it's August of 2019, what does the 2021-2022 oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. season look like? Then I think it's drastically different. But if you're just plugging them in two months before the season with the same roster, then the same games, then I'm, I'm not sure if there's a monster difference. Maybe they're like 19 and 10 as opposed to 17. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, Coach K is fine, but he also, like, has had duds. I mean, he got he, could, he got out-coached in his uh, his finale at, um, at Cameron. Like, that happens all the time. Yeah. It's more just, yeah, he gets Kyrie Irving's there, and he gets um, every five-star he wants. He gets – or Duke in general gets three of the top four recruits for next year. Like, yeah, it happens. Sam, what do you think? Agree? Disagree? Uh, I definitely agree with the Coach K thing. Uh, I think it's hard to imagine the difference between, like, not to say there's a difference between the, the – I mean, Kyle compared him to Fran Dunphy. I think if you look at Aaron McKee as a coach and Coach K as a coach, I genuinely don't know enough about Coach K as an X's and O's and, like, like install and, like, running an offense 
and you know using using his assistant coaches as a coach compared to Aaron I think I have a good sense of like how Aaron runs his staff but I don't have a good enough sense of if you put coach K in the same exact scenario you know does he have the same assistants does he have the same assistants in this scenario does he yeah is, is, is Jimmy Fennerty reporting to coach K is wow. Jimmy Fennerty drawing plays in the sand against <laughs> who was that oh who was it it was when uh, Chris Clark was getting a surgery. So that was yeah. after USF. Yeah. I'm going, it doesn't really, Park Al doesn't really say in, in the question here if they're using. I'm, I'm imagining it's literally just like claw machine out, Aaron McKee, claw machine in, Coach K. What a, what, what yeah. injury there. Do you know what Kyle means by the claw machine, Tim? Uh, I know what a claw machine is, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> Like, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Asked, are, claw, like are claw machines like like they still exist? I'm sure claw machines still like they're still like you. I love when John. Adams I wish I hadn't normal. said that. I just a wish I hadn't said that. Thing. He's like Sam. Do you know what I'm talking about? I wish I hadn't said that, Sam. Do you know? What like, so I was driving my Toyota Camry. Sam, do you know what a Toyota Camry is? I'm <laughs> 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 just retroactively apologize, Sam. I just had a pour myself a glass of coca-cola do you know what coke is sam sam went uh temple viral today about coke yes that was a funny <laughs> sam i actually filmed <laughs> that it sounded through, much worse i than actually it filmed it through coca-cola that is that i would just actually film this through a potato <laughs> kyle asked if i filmed it on an iphone and uh, i replied I did you pick up on that or did somebody tell you hey they filmed this at leo corsair I saw the ad. Someone said to me, was that at the Leah Course Center? And oh, I watched okay, so something different. Yeah, because once you look, watch it with that in mind, it's like, yeah, that's that's the Leah Course Center. But that would have never yeah. picked, I would have never picked up on that. Well, I don't think you would anyone would get it until the end when you see the uh when you see the monitor. At the the last second of the commercial, right. you see the big screen. That's like the dead giveaway. The rest of it kind of looks like I mean you can you can't really kind of see like the owl in the back look really closely, but um yeah, it's really the the monitor at the end, Temple's brand new state of the art. Uh, big screen uh, in the Leah Core Center. I bet you that's related to the away. fact that the Sixers hate the Wells Fargo Center. I bet you that's part of it. And they're like, no, don't film this shit here. Josh like, Harris says, go to didn't know that. Go up north to Broad Street. Yeah, they, that, you're, well, you're not a Sixers fan, but they never refer to it as Wells Fargo Center on broadcast. They call it the center because the Sixers don't own it. Uh, the Flyers and the Snyder family does. So they don't want to give away like free advertising. Like, we don't see any of that. So it's the center. And then that's why they call it the center. I yeah. never knew that. And that's why inevitably they're gonna they'll end up playing at a different place in five years. But the Leah Core Center, yeah, probably. Yeah. I was thinking the same the thing. The center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get back to this. So the other one was what Patrick Ewing? Yeah, it was yeah. it was Aaron McKee, Mike Shashevsky, and Patrick Ewing. So we again we know that Aaron McKee went 17-12. Kyle has Temple going maybe 19 and 10 under Mike Shashevsky. Who would they would they do under Patrick Ewing? I think they win. 10, 11 games, and I think half the roster transfers out after the season. Yeah. Like, like I think, like, it, all the good feelings that you might have about Temple basketball right now where you're like, look, if they can hang on to the big three with their three guards and they figure this out, like, they can – you see the light, you would be where you were two years ago with, like, this roster is going to get blown up and we're going to figure it out. Agree, disagree, Sam. Yeah, no, I agree. Patrick Ewing, not nearly as good as a co- uh, of a coach. Great player. Um, missed a game winner in, like, 1992 or something like that off the back of the iron but uh uh yeah not a great coach so i would take aaron to do better than patrick ewing coach k i would again agree with kyle that maybe does a game or two better also to something that kyle said and john said the same thing the other day i think this is a discourse that we need to have are we Uh calling them the big three are we calling them the trio 
what are we like is there is there going to be a term that we that we start calling them by like because john used the big three the other day and caught himself and said is that something we're going to start saying as if we're talking about yeah talking about, so we're saying, talking about battle three. battle done in jeremiah right uh, yeah john goes called him the big three and, and goes uh as if we're talking about lebron waiting bosh and, <laughs> and caught himself um, I know. I, I mean, I, I've been just referring to them as like Temple Star Guards because, like, I, I I think there's differences between like the level. Of like, look, I see Miller is going to have a good career at Temple, but he's not part of that like core group yet. So I've just been referring to him like general. If we're gonna give him a nickname, we'd have to go. We have to get in the lab and we'd have to get creative with it. I've just been calling them their bat, Temple's backcourt trio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By definition, can a backcourt have three? Sure. Why not? In positionless basketball, Kyle. Positionless <laughs> basketball. Real quick about the Patrick Ewan thing, and this is going to be – I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. Um, Please do. Things like that make no sense to me. Not the question. The, the bringing Patrick Ewing back stuff. Mm-hmm. Bringing Patrick Ewing back, bringing Billy Lang back, bringing Jeff Collins back, it never works out. Like when you're at this point of like no return and you're like, well, we're going to give him one more year and see if he really rallies the truth. Instead of just being like it's financially based or fiscally like a fiscal decision, or if you're at St. Joe's, like you don't want to admit that the first decision you made in your athletic director career was a massive failure. Like that extra year never works out. Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech's going to go two and 10 this year. And yeah, it saved Jeff, it saved Georgia Tech a couple million dollars in buyout, but it embarrassed the university for another year. Georgetown, I, I maybe it's a different situation because he's such like a big figure within that program that you're like, okay, he bought himself that extra year because of the fact that he won a he played Nova in a national championship. Like, I don't know. I just never see how that works out. It, it just keeps repeating itself. Like it's a different university, a different situation, and they all always make the same decision. Like, let's go another year. Temple, to its credit, did not do that this year. Like the, I, I thought they were going to say, you know what, Rod Carey, we're going to give him another year and we're going to figure this out. And to his credit, they didn't. It wouldn't have gotten better. It would have been the same situation for another year. Yeah, I, I, it, it stinks. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see things work out for, work out for Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, just because it would be a great story. And the guy was just such a, a transformative, like he was a big part of that program just becoming not just a, a big in college basketball, but they were like a big cultural phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, he, you know, because they got to that national championship level, he kind of reached kind of like a, like a pop culture point that, that John Cheney never really got to, uh, but both guys were just as influential in college basketball. I'd love to see it work out. It would have been great, but yeah, it's just clearly not working out. And it's St. Joe's. You I could also make the argument that John Thompson had a lot to do with that, but yes. Like the, the cultural aspect, right? Like the oh, whole, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. oh, absolutely, yeah. The whole, yeah, the whole thing with with yeah with with Thompson and and Nolan Richardson and guys like that it was it was a, an incredibly exciting time for for college hoops. But yeah, it just has not translated there. But I agree, yeah. I mean, at St. Joe's, I don't know if it's a financial thing where they just can't part ways with Billy Lang yet. And at least I think it's a pride thing. I think it's their athletic director doesn't want to come out and say that she just made a mistake. At the beginning. And now that was her that was her first decision. Yep. Now it's Demir Bishop. Uh, Taylor Funk. Uh, who else? Did you there? see the Bones Jack Highland stuff today? And Jack Forrest. Jack Forrest. Uh, no. Or last night, somebody straight tweeted at Bones Highland, who just lit up the Sixers off the bench. Right. right. Um, mentioned like, hey, just to confirm, if if Martelli hadn't been fired, you were gonna come to St. Joe's, right? Like that was done. He, an NBA player took the time to engage in a Twitter reaction. It was like ten thousand percent yes. Like I was gonna go to St. Joe's. So, like if you're a St. Joe's fan and all these people are leaving, uh, like. Jordan Hall hasn't announced yet, but I'm sure he's leaving. 
Um, all these things are happening, and now you're like, oh yeah, by the way, this guy just dropped 19 on the Sixers off the bench. Like he's he admitted he was coming. So not a great time to be on Hawk Hill. Nope. Nope. Anyway, good episode, guys. A lot of fun. Thank you all for tuning in. We will have more spring football coverage for you next week. Probably more roster movement by this time next week with the Temple basketball program. So we'll have a lot more to dive into. Yeah. Not to interrupt you. I had somebody asked this on the boards. When does this end? The next four to six weeks are incredibly crucial for Temple. People that play in fall sports have to tell their school by May 1 that they're in the transfer portal. Otherwise, they're not immediately eligible. So there is kind of like a deadline for this. Yeah. So stay tuned. We'll be back with you guys next week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.